A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the World Football Index podcast. Today I'll be your host, Armando Angulo, and we'll be discussing the last two World Cups and their, pe their effect on the hosting nations, both uh, economically and socially. Uh, today I have my co-host with me, Dave Karen, once again, uh, down in Brazil, and I have two South African gents here to join us and discuss the South African uh, World Cup. I have Brent Benter and uh, Kellen Kareem. How are you guys? Awesome. Thanks very much for having me, Mondo. What's up? No, absolutely. It's our pleasure, and uh, it's going to be a great podcast. I'm very, I'm looking forward to all the insight and all the information you guys have on these World Cups. Dave, how are you, my man? All quiet, Armando. Uh, just happy to be here, man. Excellent, man. First, uh, I wanted to get uh, with the two new folks on the, on the pod and discuss uh, how they got into football and how uh, the, the scene is in South Africa and stuff like that before we even jump into any of this. Kay, I'll come to you first, my man. How did you get into football? How did your passion start? And uh, And... You know, how's the scene down there in South Africa? And yeah, thanks, Mando. Like a lot of sort of poor countries around, especially um, Africa, especially the Southern Hemisphere, but I suppose all poor countries all over the world, soccer is life. Soccer is life in, um, in South Africa. So w when you're little and you're growing up, it's, um, it's fairly impossible for, it to, for, for you to avoid it. Um, you know, I can, I can even remember a time when I actually didn't know when, what football was, what soccer was, and... Um, when I was about two or three, somebody explaining the rules of the of the game, and uh, I remember sort of flashes of kicking balls and that. But here in South Africa, when you go into rural areas, and these are very different rural areas to, for example, what you'd experience in the UK or more developed uh, places, where rural means a small village somewhere where you know you have roads and things like that. This is proper desolate, out in the sticks, people living, um, you know, subsistence farming and that kind of thing. And even there, you'd find kids would be waking up at ridiculous hours of the morning, putting plastic packets and rolling them all together just to make balls so they can they can play soccer. It is an absolute. It's if it's if it was possible, I'd say it was more than a religion in South Africa. You can't not be very aware of it. It's it's the biggest sport we have in South Africa. It's the biggest national sport, and yeah, it's something that. Every little kid basically learns growing up, especially if you're if you're from a poorer background. But like I say, absolutely everybody. That's awesome, man. Uh, how about you, Brent? What's your story and your background in soccer, mate? Um, yeah, for me, it's a bit different. I, I grew up typical white South African male, uh, rugby and cricket, um, which which we obviously you know excelled at as a country. So you know, it was easy to support and easy to grow up and and sort of take part in the sports. I was. I was pretty crap at, at, at soccer or football. And, yeah, I, I actually can't put my, my finger on one specific moment that got me into football. I mean, I used to watch the odd game here and there when I was younger. I pretty much found it a bit boring, to be honest. Didn't understand the game. Didn't really have the, the drive from my family to watch with them or anything. You know, I'd watch the odd game here and there, but just wasn't you know, a massive fan. And then it's weird, yeah. I just grew into it into my early teens, and, and and just became like you know massively passionate about the the. To be honest, uh, not 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 necessarily international football. So you know, I'm not, I'm not a guy to watch our local team play. People say I'm not patriotic or whatever. I don't really care. Um, 
for me, it's Liverpool and Liverpool only. But yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> if there's a, a good game on, you know, Brazil's playing Argentina, obviously I'm going to watch that. But yeah, like Kaelin says, I mean, you, you know, you can go through the streets watching kids playing football with um, uh, plastic pa- packets, which they've they've rolled up into a into a ball. You know, um, these guys they pretty much make what they whatever they can to to make up a football. And I mean, immensely talented. Um, but yeah, to be honest, local football is not. Not really the greatest quality, um, yeah. So I, I don't really watch local football much. Right on, man. I, I think that's a, uh, that goes for a lot of uh, countries like Mexico. I know a lot of people in Mexico. Although football is a religion and stuff, people that migrate to like the U.S. they won't watch a lot of the Mexican league. It just depends on you know how they're brought up and what kind of quality they're really looking for. Whether it's just you know, I know that the Mexican league is is a is a world known league, but it, the quality isn't exactly what uh, it could be. And that's a financial and political type of situation as well. Um, well, we'll jump right in. Uh, you know, the last two World Cups, Brazil and uh, South Africa, they've had their fair share of controversies, you know, whether it was organizational, uh, the budgets, construction issues, you know, things like that. Both uh, were over budget from what was uh planned ahead of schedule. Uh, I want to come to you, Dave, first, because, you know, it's a little fresher. It's only been a year removed. Uh, what 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 are the issues, the controversies on the organization, the costs and everything else? And with the 12 stadiums that were either refurbished or built, what were the main issues in Brazil? Well, the good news is that we're nearly ready for the World Cup. <laughs> uh, we had uh, bus shelters installed for the World Cup uh, three weeks ago in Natal. That's how far behind they are. Um, they only finished working on the stadium um, about six months ago. Uh, it, it, that embodies the whole problem in Brazil. They were awarded the World Cup in 2007. They knew because uh, there was only one serious competitor against them for for the South American World Cup, and that was Colombia. Colombia had realized that it was only going to be them in Brazil and quickly pulled out, leaving Brazil the free free reign um, over it. They had, you know, they had seven years to prepare and and really and truly, as Romario, who's now a senator, the great Brazilian player Romario is now a senator here in Brazil, and he's one of the loudest voices, um, or was one of the loudest voices during the build-up to the World Cup. I arrived here just shortly after the World Cup in South Africa. When I arrived, um, the stadium, the Arena das Dunas uh, in, in Natal, was still the old stadium, complete. Um, it, it was only really started, I think it was here, but I suppose half a year by the time they started uh, demolishing it even. Uh, the problem was that they had budgeted for X, in, you know, around the 2008-2009 mark, they, they made their budget. And, and the way that Brazil was working then, um, the, the, the economy basically was in a boom. And, you know, we had the, the Brazilian Riai, which was the, the, the highest overvalued uh, currency in the world at the time. Uh, and that made then the, the costs of bringing, uh, for example, I'll give you one example. Uh, six uh, of the, the World Cup stadiums in Brazil had grass from my home country, from Northern Ireland, that was flown across. Um, you know, so, so the, the cost of that was, was, was much greater um, as, as the, the, the currency started to devalue. Um, as it has done and has continued to um, in the year after. As I say, when I arrived here, it was 230 to the pound. It's now uh, 520, and it's been just on this spiral down. So that the, the exchange rate played in, I think, a lot to, to, to where Brazil went wrong. But ultimately, we had a wonderful tournament here. You know, you, did, you, you needed to have been, I think, living, I'd be very curious to see what Kay and Brent have to say about this from the South African side, you know, with living there and, and, and watching day by day um, the progress. I think for me, you know, we, we had protests here, very, very heavy protests during the uh, Confederations Cup. Um, and, and it was sparked by a, a 20 cent increase in, uh, in bus fare. But really, the, the real emotions that were driving this was the cost of, of the stadiums, the cost of the infrastructure, the cost of the World Cup. It was, it was sold to the Brazilian people that um, you, you know, this money for the, for the World Cup was never coming out of the public purse. And in reality, in the end of it all, from the 12 stadiums, only three um, were, 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 were completed privately. The rest came out of the public purse. That took an impact on health and education, which are, which are really areas here that do need massive, massive investment. And that, I think, was, was you, you know, the sparkle at the tinder. 
for, for the protests and, and the, the anti-World Cup sentiment that was here at the time, that Brazil was very divided. I think South Africa, um, you know, you, you, ne you never really got the, the sense of any division in, in 2010. Here, was, there was a very divided population um, because of, of, of how much public money was taken away from, from the people. And, and then the legacy of that a year on also um, is that, for, for example, we have a viaduct system uh, in Belo Horizonte in Minas Gerais, which is a quarter finished and has been abandoned. Um, it, it collapsed, uh, I think, probably about a year ago. There was the collapse of the viaduct and several people killed. Uh, we also had several people killed during the latter stages when, when the panic set in on, on, on the builds. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was the tournament went off fantastically. And, and, you know, it really was a wonderful World Cup for, for, for football. Um, the, the aesthetics, close up and personal, were, were, were it was very ragged. You know, entering the stadium and whatnot was at times like entering a building site. Um, certainly from the south entrance, it was it was like a, like a building site. Um, you know, I think of the world that I came from in the United Kingdom, uh, and you know the stringent laws and health and safety. There, there would have been nobody in those stadiums had it been, uh, I think, in Europe. And, and I think that's the lasting memory that it sort of left for me was, it, it was a wonderful experience one of the best experiences in my life, but it was, it was just ragged on the edges, if you know what I mean. I know we're going to, we're going to cover more of this in the pod, but, but I'd, I'd like to see from, from, uh, you know, the, the guys in South Africa, whether, we, you know, they said South Africa was behind as well, but I don't think it was ever to the level uh, that we find ourselves here in Brazil. No. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Dave. And you know what? I had a cousin that was down there uh, for the Brazilian uh, world cup and he was following Mexico around and uh, he was telling me that like to get to some of the stadiums and stuff, he would have to walk, like he'd take a bus and then he would have to walk like a couple miles just to get to the stadium. So that's a crazy thought, like to think that, you know, to have so much time to, to prepare an infrastructure and stuff like that and to still have to be in that type of situation, it, it seems a, a little rough, to be quite honest. No, I'm, I'm with you. Now, for example, there were shuttle buses, but the shuttle bus would have left you on, on the main road. You still had a two-kilometer walk, you know, to the stadium. The, the place had the roads closed. They also did a thing here in Brazil because they were so far behind, because the road projects as well um, that were promised were not delivered on time. We, we also have the, the, the airport issue, but we'll go into that, that, that later. It was just all this public money being pumped into to infrastructure that, that, you know, from clearly a year and a half out, 18 months before the tournament, it was clear. It was very, very clear to anyone living here. There was no chance in hell that these were ever going to be completed. I think Brazil caught on about 12 months beforehand and decided then, you know, we're going we're gonna to pull the infrastructure projects and we're going to concentrate on uh, the stadiums, which they did. But for me, the, the, the gaping hole, and, and you know, there's protests here again this morning in Brazil um, about removing the government. And, uh, you, you know, it all stems from, from these infrastructure pro, uh, projects. I'm going to come to you, Brent. Uh, what, are the, what are the situation and, and the leftover remnants and all the issues, the controversies building up, the organizational and the, the financial situation in South Africa, uh, five years removed? And uh, what was the situations at the time? Yeah, uh, thanks, Bernard. I actually don't remember there being many major issues um, from what I recall there was a lot of a lot of uh, striking because obviously the guys wanted more money um, it wasn't an issue of people striking and rioting or whatever because because they weren't happy with um, the money being pumped into it I think as a, as a country we were really really generally were happy about it and like I said there was an odd issue here and there um, we had a lot of a lot of fun here, a lot of excitement. The first world countries, obviously, the news came out. I think CNN started some shit with with how how we were we were not going to be ready on time, and you know I, I think there was a, a, a small concern from the general population here, but I think we all knew it would get done eventually. In terms of infrastructure, I mean, you know, we we've in in Johannesburg and Gauteng, where a lot of the the matches were staged. We, they redid all of the highways, the major highways. Um, so things were widened. They obviously, with these widened roads, we had we, we're now still sitting with widened roads. So our traffic issues are much much less than what they what they were. That was a bit of a rush job. They've had to re resurface the the roads a couple of times since then because, yeah, I mean it was I think rush poor quality. Uh, you know, tar and whatever else. But again, it's five years back. I'm, I might be very wrong. I think. Um, K might might uh, have a different 
view to me. But yeah, I think at the time, no issues. Um, now we, we're sitting with one or two very, very seldom used stadiums. Now spread pretty much never gets used except for some odd local football matches, which they can't even begin to, to fill a stadium. Um, Soccer City, the, the, main, the main stadium which the final was played at, we use it a lot for big rugby matches, uh, local football derbies, um, any big concerts that come out here, we use that stadium. So I think we're definitely getting a lot of, a lot of uh, use out of that. Durban, it's a bit weird because they built the stadium right next to uh, an existing stadium, which, yeah, they're trying to force the local rugby teams and everyone to, to move across to it to actually use it. You know, there's one or two white elephants that just sit there and never get used, but generally we're actually getting some use out of them. And I, I know there was a bit of a concern that people wouldn't get that, that, uh, that usage out of it. Absolutely, man. Kay, how about you jump in here and uh, pick up where uh, Brent left off? What are your thoughts on, on the World Cup, the controversies in South Africa building up, and then five years removed? What do you think the situation and the outlook on that tournament have been? From what I remember at the time, look, it was a very strange period for South Africa because... What happened, you know, we were supposed to win the previous World Cup uh, and we didn't. Uh, by win it, I mean to stage it, obviously, not, not to win it. Um, but at the time, remember that was 2010, 2008, the economic crash happened globally. So the world was in recession and we had a lot of questioning going on to FIFA relative to, okay, you've made a promise to the developing world to deliver a World Cup to them and specifically in Africa. But do you think you can afford that when there are countries, especially now during recession, better positioned to host this World Cup. I mean, that was the rhetoric. We must also remember that in South Africa, sporting events like this have played a large role in our nation building. So right after democracy, we, you know, very soon after that, we hosted a, a, a Rugby World Cup and Nelson Mandela himself was really pivotal in bringing people together and everybody sharing in that event so we could move forward as a nation together. And obviously we've got you know, a ton of problems every, like every developing nation has. But we did recognize that the Rugby World Cup was a time when everybody in the country sort of came together. And the World Cup, I mean, like I said, in South Africa, football is something, it's, it's on a different level completely. And when the World Cup was announced, it was an absolute hugest collective party without everybody actually being together so everybody was just you know in their houses everybody in South Africa will tell you where they were the moment when Sepp Letter pulled out that little card with the name South Africa on it after that like Brent said there were there were incidents uh, the the strikes are something I can remember quite well the bad press from specifically the UK and Australia were was something I remember we didn't have the questioning on the level that Brazil had so we did have the question of just like Brazil, you can deliver a World Cup. Why can't you deliver various social products, uh, social housing and, um, and electricity and water to some, you know, surely if you can, if you think you're confident enough to deliver a World Cup, you can deliver some stuff to poor people as well who desperately need it, you know, more than the country needs a World Cup. But we didn't go to the lengths that Brazil did to, to, um, to protest against it because you know, for various reasons, I think I think we were we were quite happy to win it, and we were also sure that there was extra resources to be able to do it. So, you know, five years on, it's a it's a very it's a very difficult thing to to sort of gauge that all in all because World Cups take such a long time to to render benefits or to, or to be able to see what their full effect was. But it was kind of like almost this wonderful dream that we had, and uh, it, it was this this really special fantasy that happened in the country everybody was together even the crime went down at that time like even the criminals in the country took took a couple months off so they could enjoy the world cup and now looking back it's almost sort of like a little bit like it didn't happen it didn't have that much of effect because life sort of went on but i mean i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later as well yeah so if i can jump in the care i just uh, I remember be very clearly when it was announced that we won the, the, the bid. I was in a shopping center in, in a mall and people just suddenly started screaming and like running around. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? You know, like <laughs> joyous screaming. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And then people were like, no, we got the World Cup. And I, I think that for me probably is what, what's made, I mean, that shows the spirit of, of, the, of the country to to 
you know the 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 joy of holding a World Cup. Um, guys, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Five years removed from the World Cup now, early May, we uh, got a. Uh, reports there's been multiple reports about the south african bid it was like bribery and stuff fifa vice president jack warner involved and the fbi uh found the swiss authorities to to have been involved in this uh bribery issue and on june 6th uh the daily telegraph reported that morocco had actually won the 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 vote and uh that that south africa was still awarded the tournament instead what do you uh what do you think about that Kay? how has that affected the outlook for you guys right now Look, it's, corruption is a big problem in South Africa. Um, we we suffer from it greatly because we've got a majority of people in this country who are actually, you know, really poor. And when you combine that with the effects of corruption, it, the picture that is painted is so absolutely tragic. It's it, it's sort of difficult to even, you know, really think about it. But you know, when you have little kids dying of completely preventable diseases and hunger and the cold and all that. It, and then you think that somebody's actually benefiting from it. It really does just make you sick to your stomach. But we've been dealing with corruption and the issues around corruption for a really long time. What I can say on that corruption issue was that I'm not sure many people were very surprised by the fact that the FIFA World Cup was surrounded in processes that were essentially corrupt. Uh, I'm not, and I'm, again, I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to, def- uh, trying to defend South Africa or any of the nations that have held the world cup but it would it's sort of an open secret that fifa is a really corrupt organization and that things were going on really wrong i, I was i was in fact a little more shocked I'm, I'm quite cynical in this regard but i was actually more shocked that people were shocked that fifa was corrupt because you know we, everybody sort of knew it i was also shocked that people thought that it only would take 10 million dollars for south africa to bribe and that would give get us a world cup that was to me also, but you know, all we had to do was bribe one guy, and then you know, it wasn't. That, that's not the extent of the corruption that's happened there. I have a family member who works in corruption and who studies this, and what I can tell you is, is corruption is not a person. It's not an interpersonal thing where somebody is meeting somebody else and passing an envelope to him and, and this. Corruption is a system. So if you're going to remove, for example, somebody like Sepp Blatter and put somebody else in, that doesn't stop the corruption. It's an entire systematic way of working. It's in it's in the processes that happen in both in both the countries and um, and and the governing bodies uh, when it comes to football. It's a huge huge issue because the people who lose are always the people who can lead least afford to lose in those situations. Like I said, I mean, just just in Brazil in South Africa, why host the World Cup when you have so many social problems? That isn't actually the issue. The issue is given that the World Cup is such a a big event and it has so many benefits to a country on paper, how do those how do you pass those benefits on to the poorest of the poor? And though you know, that's where a lot of the corruption should be focused on or, or the, the backlash of the corruption and why things are corrupt. So to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't that surprised to, uh, you know that um that the processes were corrupt. Um I am a little, you know, I'm a little shocked that people are concentrating on South Africa and Brazil when we know, for example, I mean, it's been it's it's been confirmed that it happened in Germany, it happened in the U.S. And, it, it, you know, what we've seen is that every single time anybody has hosted a World Cup, the evidence now points to the fact that it has been a corrupt one. Grant, I want to I want to ask you the same thing, man. What are your thoughts on the corruption issue and, and the news that's come out recently in the last couple of months? I I had a laugh to be honest. Uh, I thought <laughs> typical South Africa. That was my attitude, and honestly, didn't really care. I mean, we had a great time. People people complaining about it um, locally and what a disgusting country we are, and blah blah blah. Those are the same people who who absolutely had a time of their lives during the World Cup, meeting people from overseas, and you know, uh, hanging out with with multiple different countries and obviously going to matches and feeding the kind of vibe and the, and the, you know, the spirit, you know, it it happened. And I think any of us who are going to now have a problem with it are probably being hypocrites. Yeah. I, I laughed and it is what it is, but I had the time of my life and yeah, I mean, if we weren't corrupt, then we wouldn't have got it and I wouldn't have all those memories. So, why complain? Brent, for me, it's, it's sort of, it's a little bit different. It's sort of like, it's a bit ridiculous that, it, you know, I mean, Amando, like you said, people are saying that Morocco 
had actually won the World Cup. Well, you know, the, the, won the right to host the World Cup. If they had won it fairly and squarely, they would have had to bribe FIFA to get it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like that's the ridiculous part of uh, the whole corruption is whoever wins this fairly and squarely. Um, I don't really get the Morocco ones because it was South Africa who was supposed to have won it five or four years earlier, and um, that guy from New Zealand who I can't remember his name, you know, voted uh, voted Germany, and the country was sort of we were crushed when that happened, but. If Germany can win it fair and square and they bribed and USA can win it fair and square and they bribed, you know, it's, it, that's the ridiculous part. You know, the, the fact that people are winning it and we still, we still have all these processes. I, I, it was just a bit silly, really, the whole thing. Absolutely. You guys make very valid points and the whole corruption and you're going to have to cheat to win. It, it, it's an absolute valid point. That's the way the infrastructure works, unfortunately. And that's the way FIFA has been since at least Seb Blatter's been in there. Um, let's move on to, uh, to, to another point. What is, what has gone on in the na- in your, on a national level as far as infrastructure since the World Cup got there? Has there been a spike in tourism, better facilities, public transportation? Has there been a spike in em- employment, something like that? What are those issues looking like and uh, on a, on a societal level brent i'll come to you first how's it looking in south africa five uh five years removed yeah i, I think i'll echo what Kaylin said earlier on we had a spike obviously when it happened um and there was definitely a tourism spike afterwards i think you know it was it was pretty awesome seeing the whole world uh, kind of reacting so positively to to the country but uh, you know the government's done stupid things in terms of getting visas um so tourism has dropped in terms of infrastructure, definitely public transport in um, most World Cup cities did improve. Uh, we we have they built something called the car train, which is like this high speed train that goes from city to city. Um, I, it sounds like a laugh for anyone with a decent public transport system, but um, yeah, we have this 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 rail, which probably is more for your higher income person. But it does it does save a lot on on uh, you know traveling time and 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 costs you know from Johannesburg to Pretoria and so on. Yeah, I think we introduced new bus systems as well. So you know they're still busy with the infrastructure now, but you know so that that is quite positive, and I suppose there have, have been jobs created from there. But in terms of long term jobs, I, I I don't think I don't think there has been um, much of an an impact from the World Cup. Uh, potentially other than when those stadiums are being used for events. I, I don't know if Kenyon remembers during the time we actually had these um, like sort of pop-up courts. So people being yeah, caught for, for, yeah, so people being caught doing things wrong, you know, criminals and whatever, it was an expedited process. So instead of spending however long in jail waiting for, for, for uh, your day in court, it was pretty much there and then, you know, not on the spot, but you'd, you'd go through the court case and a verdict would be handed out very quickly. So, you know, criminals are getting caught and it was a lot more efficient. Obviously, that's changed. Uh, we've gone back to the old inefficient systems. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably missing quite a bit, which, which Kaylin can, can probably uh, uh, add as well. Like I said, we've got a majority of people, they're sort of, it's between 70 and 75% of people, the majority in our, in our country is quite poor. Our inequality, though, is something else. So it's, um, again, these are figures that will echo with people from Brazil. Um, but two people in our country, it's, it's come out, two people in our country have as much wealth as the poorest half. So half of our country earns the same as two people, right? So it roughly translates when you when you... When you pull out the statistics, 5% of our country owns 50% of its wealth. 20% of our country owns 80% of its wealth. And it's quite interesting because those figures roughly mimic world figures, so global figures in terms of in terms of wealth and stuff like that. The World Cup was definitely worth it for organizations like FIFA, for its sponsors, for the organizers on our side, you know, our organizing committee and the national government and stuff like that because, as we said, the processes are are a bit ridiculous. You do not get heavy inequality like that unless it is systematic, unless it's specifically put there to do that. So it's it's very difficult to quantify this for the bulk of people who watched football. Some figures I, you know, try to research, but it took national government, national government itself in South Africa put in 30 billion, do- 30 billion rand to host the World Cup. And at that time, um, 
one US dollar was worth about 10 uh, South African rand. So it cost us about 30 billion. It was a further 10 billion rand from provincial government to host the World Cup. But direct gains from the World Cup, they say, cost rough, uh, got us roughly 40 billion back. So we, we broke even directly, which under a recessionary period is, was not bad under that time. We definitely saw a spike in tourism, as Brent said. Our tourist arrivals now are well over 10 million uh, tourists coming into the country. It's, it's rising pretty fast. Over the last three years, we've seen our peak period of tourist numbers go up from 100,000 to 120,000, and last year it's 150,000. So, you, I mean, you can see the direct effect of the World Cup. It's a 50% increase in our peak period over the last, uh, over a two-year period. So that was, that, you know, that it's really, really great. Uh, from that perspective, there was a short-term employment spike, as Brent was saying. However, it's not really, you know, it, it's not about that money. Um, like I was saying before, it's more important how it's spent. And we, we tend to make this mistake, you know, for example, economic growth, is important to judge a country's economic performance. And it's not growth because South Africa can have all the growth it wants to, but if that money goes to a few people, it's not really helping anything. So it's the same with the World Cup. It's the same with, with any big tournament. It, it's principally important how the money is shared out in the whole, uh, in, amongst the whole population. There was some social housing that came directly out of the World Cup money. Um, we had some great infrastructure improvements, like Brent said, the Caltrain, which is the high-speed one that Brent was talking about, Ria Via which actually comes from Rio, the idea, but it's our uh, bus system, a rapid transport bus system that works in Johannesburg City. Cape Town has uh, one. Durban has one now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cape Town also have pedestrian and cycle lanes that they built after the World Cup. And so that's all been good. There's been some really good infrastructure, which everybody can sort of use out of the, out of the World Cup. But uh, yeah, like I say, if you're going to have these tournaments in a country like South Africa, you also have to accept that a lot of those gains that came from the World Cup are going to people who don't you know, necessarily need it. Football-wise, it's made not one jot of difference. Our national football team is still not very good. Our national football team coach is still not very good and chosen along lines that are not football related. Um, I got to say the experience of the World Cup, though, was was really something else. One of the really nice things about our World Cup is I remember we we had tickets for around 400 Rand, which was like, you know, 40 US dollars. That was wonderful that people got to go and um, and experience something that, you know, they have no real, you know, it wasn't even a dream for some people to go to the World Cup because even if they were there, they wouldn't be able to afford the tickets. I remember the fan parks were also quite wonderful. So it was a great party and it felt like, you know, we had the party and we suffered a bit of the hangover afterwards. And now we're just carrying on. Our economic profile now is largely the same as before with some better infrastructural adjustments. But that's the problem. I mean, when you have something like the World Cup, tourist numbers are going up, infrastructure is better. It's going to take a long time to quantify all that. So the future will tell, I suppose. Absolutely. That's some that's some great information, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, before I come to you, Dave, uh, Brent had to skip out. Uh, he had a, an emergency and he had to go take care of that. I want to thank Brent for uh, for 
appearing on WFI and all of his great insight on the South African World Cup, and hopefully we'll have him on again. Uh, he was a fantastic to listen to. Uh, Dave, let me ask you, my man, uh, from Brazil, what is the, has the spike in tourism? Uh, has there been better facilities and infrastructure in the whole around the country as itself? Has employment spiked? What have been the social issues, and, and, and how have the, the outlook been uh, a year removed now? Well, just listening to the guys there, Armando, um, you know, talking about the the joy and the pride that the country that South Africa had in hosting the World Cup and the massive party and it was you know so much unity amongst the people. Sadly, here in Brazil, it was the, the, a polar opposite of it. Um, the, the year before, as, I, as I'd mentioned about the the, the Confeds Cup, uh, we we had the national protests. There was a million people on the street, and by the time the World Cup came, there was a very mixed feeling in Brazil. Um, you know, I'm sure the tourists who came to the World Cup never really got the sense of it. I think you need to actually be living here and be a resident to, to get the feeling. For, for a football-obsessed nation like Brazil, you know, they've won the World Cup more than anyone else. Um, you, you know, my, my dream coming here was this was going to be the best party I'd, I'd ever seen and, and I would never see the light. But in the end, it, it, it was I was left sort of very cautious when it, when I was talking to people because there was like a 50-50 split of people who were who were against it because of FIFA and 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 you know the the public money that was being spent it it was like treading on eggshells um, and when we when when we translate this forward then into the question that you've asked me um, you, you know the main priorities for Brazil were, were getting their roads sorted getting their bus and transit systems train systems sorted. Um, you know, sorting out uh, water to, to uh, viaducts and so on to, 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 to reroute rivers. All of these things fell by the wayside. Um, you know, the buses are still the same as they are whenever I arrived here in 2010, still as inefficient as ever. As I say, the, the, the infrastructure program here was abandoned. When that was abandoned, it, it caused the people then, the backs went up further. Because all of this money, and as I, as I said before, you're talking hundreds of millions here that, that, that were appeared to be just appeared to be wasted, um, because these these projects are are now standing. As I say, that I mentioned that uh, the overpass in Belo Horizonte, and, and it's standing. What's left of it is just standing there until such times as they get permission to knock it down, um, and, and it's it, it's just all a bit bizarre. And as I say, the, the tournament and the football masked the problems that it left. And a year on, um, you know, we've just had the offices um, of, of one of the construction companies uh, raided two days ago um, in the arena Pernambuco, uh, down in Recife. And uh, the, the Policy Federal are now starting an investigation. It's on the back of the Petrobras, the, the other uh, corruption scandal here. Um, the, this company are involved in that as well. And I think we're looking at somewhere in the region, I think it was $117 million US um, of, of money that has gone, let's say, missing. This is this is a theme that has been running for the last 12 months. Um, you know, Brazil is, and I'll give the country credit where credit's due, that there is a, an acceptance that something needs to be done about the corruption here. Uh, but the problem is, while the government have, ha, have been working for their first term of four years towards anti-corruption, um, just before, or just after, they were, they were re-elected, the, the Petrobras scandal came out, and, and that goes the whole way to the top right the way to the top because the president of the country at the moment was the pre president of Petrobras uh, during that scandal. So the World Cup, is, it, it, its legacy here, it, 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 it can split the population. It can split the population's thinking. It's not the legacy that I believed it would be. You, you know, um, it, it's very difficult, as I say, in a football-obsessed nation uh, to, to watch this happen. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's not the World Cup. I enjoyed the tournament, but I, I, I always felt it, I, it was subdued. The party was subdued. Then the tournament ended the way it did. Any chance of, of getting the, the people who were not maybe fully behind it, that they hoped that the Brazilian team would, would, would win it. You, you know, when we were awarded the World Cup, um, the, the saying was that Brazil didn't want to host the World Cup. They were only hosting it to win it, to win their sixth. And, and, and I think their motives in Brazil were slightly different uh, to South Africa. Um, again, it didn't really uh, cause a, a massive spike in the game uh, because the game is so well established here, uh, and you know it's quite a high league, even though the standard is pretty low. Well, like you were saying about the Mexican league earlier, Mando, um, along those lines. But in regards to tourism, just to finish on this, 
Um, a thing people don't really know about Brazil is that 98% uh, that of the tourism that exists in Brazil at the moment, and, and certainly since I've been here, um, is Brazilian tourists and other South Americans. Uh, the rest of the world only amount to, 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 to basically 2% uh, of tourists coming in here. Um, now, that has changed in the past 12 months. It, it spiked up to five off the back of the World Cup. And certainly, I think, you know, with next year, we have the Olympics in Rio. Uh, and certainly, I even know people from from uh, from home who are coming here for that. Um, you know, hopefully that again puts Brazil on the map. I think Brazil gets quite a bad name. Uh, you know, along the same lines, I would I'd like to ask Kay about this as well, about, uh, you, you know, the violence side of things. Um, you, you know, it gets maybe a, an unfair press. Certainly, all countries are violent. Um, it, it's just... Uh, you know, here gets a little bit worse of a reputation. Uh, I'm just wondering along the lines what, what Kay would think of that. Uh, sorry, Dave, you're asking me about sort of crime and violence. Yeah, along, I'm talking about those, um, you know, with, with tourism um, before yeah, and after yeah, the cool. World Cup. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, certainly I know from experience, Kay, um, you know, in, in, in the media, certainly in Europe, South Africa was always portrayed like Brazil totally the same as Brazil, as a very violent place, you know, you, the, the Home Office office says, you know, take warning before going and gives you guidelines on how to survive. I'm just wondering, has, has that changed in any way in, in South Africa? It's not changed, but it didn't need to. Um, so South Africa is a very high crime rate, but while especially our middle class, especially our rich, complain about crime at all levels of society, Crime is concentrated in particular areas, and specifically those are the poorest of the poorest areas. So if you're in Johannesburg, for example, um, there are some, uh, a lot of people might know Soweto, which is a very famous township for it, the, you know, the role that it had in apartheid. But there are some areas there where, you're, if, if, you know, if, if you're a black male, and by black I mean African, if you're an African male, you're nine times as likely to be attacked and murdered than uh, as a white male living in an affluent neighborhood. Our affluent neighborhoods generally have, globally speaking, very good crime statistics, if crime statistics can ever be classified as good. When it comes to tourists, we have very few incidences, um, if any. And th the incidences I am talking about are things like pickpocketing and, uh, and those kinds of things. So crime is a very big problem. And specifically in South Africa, what, what people think is unique is the the aspect of violence that comes with the crime. We we hear of a lot of very violent crimes that are happening, and even towards you know women and children in in and around these crimes. But again, that's not that unique because everywhere you have high levels of inequality, they found that that's what happens. And the thing is about violence and crime, right? Just to just a tangent off a, a little bit, is people think that. It's just an element of violence in people. Some people are just violent. Psychologically, we know that's not true. Psychologically, we know that for if you, you have to take somebody and make them violent, it's a process. It takes decades. It takes a really long time. You can get, you can do a very concentrated version of this if you look at the army and what they do to people, how they completely break them and reassemble them in a way where they are more likely to shoot at somebody for purposes of killing them. And even so, when you are drafted into your own country's um, army and not privately put in, like, you know, uh, private sort of uh, army organizations uh, that you hear about, especially in the U.S., even then, even what, what the army does, it's really difficult to get one person to just shoot somebody else in cold blood. So when there's violence happening, again, there's, you have to look at the underlying factors, and the underlying factors are inequality and a lack of dignity that you treat with poor people. So... We had for that time very little to you know very little crime was happening, and specifically it was it wasn't happening a lot to tourist numbers, but that's not odd with South Africa. We don't have a lot of crime for tourists, and we don't have a lot of crime relatively for people in middle class and affluent areas if you If you happen to be in the the poorer areas which are not obviously frequented by tourists, then you would have a much higher chance of being affected by crime but you know like like i said that that mostly didn't happen no and and, and also you know brazil had spent a, a huge budget i think it was some somewhere along the lines of 80 million dollars on, on private security for this world cup 
Uh, and that was added on top of, um, you know, we had the army. I don't know what it was like in South Africa. It's another question. Yeah, we also like, had the army. Yeah, we had the, we had the yeah, army we, inducted we, into the cops or something like that. And then the police force, they were extremely visible in and around World Cup areas. So, yeah. Yeah, it was like- uh, but, but we had like a, a two mile, uh, you know, it was, it was almost like two miles of, of a ring. You know, it was two different rings. The army were the outer ring. The, the federal police were the inner ring. And, okay. and certainly you, you felt, you know, to be honest with you, I felt very, very, very secure anytime I went uh, to, to any of the World Cup venues. I was in Recife, I was in Natal, I was in Fortaleza, I went to three of them. And, and the real sense of security that, you know, you wouldn't feel on a day-to-day in the country was really there. Um, you know, it's something that, 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 that it was part of the World Cup I didn't expect to, to be so good. Um, and, and really, as you say, uh, Brazil sort of mirrors South Africa uh, for, for, for crime. Really, it's the same thing. It's isolated areas. Unfortunately, it, it, it's poor males, um, you know, from poorer areas who who, who are involved. And, and mostly it's all drugs here uh, and drug gangs. You know, there's, there's been enough on documentaries mm. and television. I'm sure we've all seen it. Um, you know what I mean? But crime was, was very much on the down. And that was because everything was so visible. Um, even at night in the tourist areas, um, mm. you know, there was a very large presence of, of, of police and, and you, you had a real sense of security. And, and it was it actually surprised me greatly um, after living here because security is like the last thing in the world to worry about. Uh, and to have that from going from zero to, to, to this maximum security was, was like a huge step. And, 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 you know, I applaud them for it because, as I say, I spoke to many, many, many people. Um, during the time of the World Cup, and everyone had had a wonderful time, and no one had had been robbed, nobody had had, had a bad experience um, of it. And, and their only complaint, really, that, that I had about the World Cup from anyone was just the lack of, of of English speakers within Brazil. But that was always going to be the problem. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, you know, you di- you didn't have have that problem. Um, but your tickets as well seem to be very, you know, from from what you spoke about, your ticket prices seem to be very high. Um, you know, we we we, were, we could get tickets here as Brazilian residents for uh, ten dollars. Now I only managed to get the two games that way. Um, I paid full price for the rest of them, but there was a big, big, big um, discount given um, to, to locals. And I, I had thought that that uh, South Africa w- was the same. I certainly remember there was a time that, that didn't they open their gates at one point because the match wasn't sold out and let some of the local kids in or something like that. I, I seem to remember that in South Africa. I'm correct. Yeah, they were. Look, with us, it was a it was a, a a sticking point. That was we had to negotiate for so long and so hard for cheaper ticket price ticket prices. It was just not going to happen. FIFA were literally telling South Africa, absolutely not. We are not reducing ticket prices. Um, it's not going to happen. This is how you make money on the World Cup, and we have to cater for the the um, international audience that are coming. And you know, I. Generally, there are enough people who can, if people who travel to the World Cup, you know, they, they've come on the plane, they, they're staying in hotels, they can afford it, and they are buying those really expensive World Cup tickets. And our, our top end ticket prices were, you know, very comparable to Germany, for example. But we had to really, really negotiate for that. So, um, you know, if, if part of that was that we, we got a little bit. So, I mean, from what I remember, it was about $40 at that point. Um, and like I said, at, at that time, the US dollar was a little bit weaker than it is now. But if the knock-on from that was that Brazilians got cheaper tickets in the next World Cup, then I was completely for that. I mean, I, I was very happy that we did negotiate those prices. And so if you guys got some of that as well, then that was, that's brilliant. <laughs> Well, for, for me, I think, Kay, the, the sadness that I would have in that, and, and you know, yes, there, there were those re- reduced ticket prices, but you know what? Very, very few of the people, you, you know, you would like to have seen the ordinary people, you know, the people struggling yeah. in the street. They Same. weren't the ones yeah. that were there at, at that price. And, you know, for me, they are the, they're, they're the heart and soul of, of football in this country. Um, you know, I go to the local games here and, and it's, you know, it's all people from favelas upwards to the middle class. You don't normally find anybody above that in, in the football stadiums. And, yeah. and they love, I mean, the passion that they have for football and the thought of these people not being able to, to actually go and experience a World Cup when it's in their own city or, or very close to their own city and, and the prices reduced so much. It, it, you know, it was very sad because on the two occasions that I did go in those areas, it, 
it, it, the majority of the times the, the Brazilians had sold the ticket on anyway at, 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 at a higher price, uh, and mostly Europeans had, had got them. Um, but again, it just shows you, you know, rather than that they saw the World Cup ticket, even a discounted ticket, as a way to make money, as to go to the game. And, 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 and you know, these, as I say, there's got to be a lot of football obsessed people who sold the dream of going to the World Cup for, for, for maybe making four times the price on a ticket. And it's it just that's very, that's for very, me, very it's bad. exactly. It's exactly the same thing here, Dave. The, the feeling I get from Brazil is that the biggest negative to come out of the World Cup, besides the, in South Africa, uh, besides the, you, you know, the fact that there was, there's such a large level of corruption and that essentially it's rich people stealing from poor people. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the biggest things. But the miss of such a huge opportunity, you know, to be able to say, you, you, you know, for your government to be able to say to you, we've got, when we have the political will, we can pull off, a World Cup. So you know, your public sector and your private sector are saying, when we have the political will, we can achieve the you know the biggest single sporting event in the world. But when it's gone, we cannot solve you know really simple problems that ordinary people have, so that we can treat them with dignity. You know, it's uh, that, that's the the biggest you know sore point that I, I suppose both countries might have off of the World Cup. No, I'm with you 100%, not Kay. And, you know, I've spoken to people since in, in the last year and they're like, oh, you were there and, oh, what was it like? It would, be, it would have been my dream to be there. And, and you just feel, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm an immigrant in this country. I'm obviously not Brazilian. And, you know, if, if, if my own country was hosting the World Cup, I would love to be able to go and experience it. And the thought of people here not, not you know, just being priced out of it or, 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 you know, just not being able to go or, or seeing the need to survive of selling their ticket for, for, for more of a price uh, as being more important to them than going to the game. It, it's, it's, it's just very sad. And, and when you consider the amount of money that basically, well, you know, we're still working on a figure, a final figure uh, of money for, for what the World Cup has cost Brazil. And, and they reckon it'll be two years more before the full gravity is known and, and my personal opinion is you'll never know it because the majority of it was siphoned off the top you know the, the only people and, and another thing and sorry Armando I, I just want to make this final point my feeling in Brazil is that the only winners of, of the Brazilian the World Cup in Brazil here and I'm curious as do you feel the same Kay were FIFA they're the only people who really did benefit the most from this tournament well, guys, we're running uh, short on time here, and we want to still touch on a couple points. I wanted to get with you guys and discuss if uh, you guys would each like to host in your nation right now, if you guys would take the opportunity to host it again in the future. And secondly, I want to know if you guys think that Russia has learned something from the issues that has occurred at uh, the last two World Cups where uh, you guys are, and if you guys think that they've learned something and uh, will be better prepared and equipped to, to handle the, situ the, the World Cup in 2018. Dave, I'll come to you first, my man. Well, basically, that's what they were saying here in Brazil, that they were learning lessons from uh, from South Africa, uh, which, which clearly didn't happen. Um, I, I think Russia, you, you know, they talk about the, the BRICS nations, um, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, the, the, the BRICS, the emerging nations. And now, the, the, you know, the, the last two nations have been BRIC nations and the next nation also is a BRIC nation. Um, I, I don't know. I feel Russia might just be slightly more ahead of South Africa, slightly more ahead of Brazil in terms of, uh, of basic infrastructure. Uh, I know South Africa probably was a little bit further, especially in the cities than, than, than Brazil. Um, you know, the Brazilian cities are, are, are built on a very old model. Been, they haven't really changed. The landscapes of them and the road systems haven't really changed over the years. You know, I, I just feel that Russia will probably, having the experience of South Africa and Brazil, one would like to believe that they, they've seen the two issues of the last two World Cups and they are working uh, feverishly at the moment to, to make sure that, that, that they don't suffer the same problems. Yeah, Kay, what are your thoughts on Russia, man? And then do you think that, like Dave said, hopefully they would have learned from the, the issues, both political you know, and, and in society, uh, moving forward into 2018? It just seems that Russia is a very unique political place and it's in a very unique political space now. Um, you know, largely we, we didn't hear a lot about Russia for quite a while relative to what the West was saying. Now suddenly that's all come up again. You know, so, you know, I don't really know. I, I don't really want to talk about Eternia, but I remember the news reports of South Africa, like, like Dave said, it, they were about Brazil as well. And how can you hand a country over to, um, how can you hand the World Cup over to countries like that? You know, we're really easy targets here as countries with 
high levels of inequality, with high levels of poverty and known high levels of corruption. You know, there's that kind of thing. But how do you, you know, it's very, it's very difficult to say how that, because we know that all the World Cups are going to have a corrupt element to it. It's going to be a large corrupt element. FIFA comes with that. The World Cup will come with that because that's how business is run. So, you know, that, that doesn't mean we have to excuse the unethical element by any means. What I mean by that is we should be getting them out easier into light. So we know that that's what's going to happen. I would hope really that Russia would be able to learn. They are very much ahead of a lot of the emerging countries in terms of the existing infrastructure. They have such a huge market as well. So uh, in that respect as well, they're, they're probably again ahead of Brazil and South Africa. Um, I, I, I'm, again, I don't want to talk about the cultural element because I'm, I'm not aware. All I hear is news stories about that. And I hope they can bring all that under control because, you know, again, people said if you come to South Africa, you'll be robbed and you'll be raped and all that kind of thing. And none of that happened. So I hope they do learn from us and I hope that they, they, they can use the World Cup positively for, for people there. I, it, you know, that's all you can say. It, you will say now that the biggest winner there is going to be FIFA and it's, it's going to be a corrupt system. So I hope they do learn. And FIFA, have this, they seem to have this record of just pulling out a World Cup whenever they need to, no matter what's going on behind the scenes. You can't listen to all the news stories because they deliver the thing at the end of it. And it always seems to be slightly better than the one that came before. So I think the World Cup will come off in Russia. I think it probably will be a success. I think we really have to be better as a world community in terms of assessing what the fallout of each World Cup is and who really benefited, specifically if the, the poorer people in those countries or poor people around the world, really, because it's a world game, can benefit from it. Absolutely. You guys make really good points. And I think that that's the most important thing is for uh, for the, the host nations to learn on, on a tournament-to-tournament basis and then for society itself and, you know, the lower class, middle class to benefit mainly. Uh, you know, the rich get richer all the time, every day. And I think, you know, these tournaments and these types of organizations like FIFA, if it's run correctly, could possibly, you know, benefit, you know, the lower to middle class. And that's something that I think is uh, really important going forward. Uh, well, to wrap up, guys, because we're running out of time here, uh, we at the World Football Index have a top 100 index going on. And uh, what that is, is we pick a player, any player, as long as they're still active from any league around uh, around the world. And uh, you have you guys highlight them for our list and we can uh, highlight them on the on the website. So, Kay, I'll come to you as our guest and uh, as your first time on here. And what are your what, what player would you like to highlight for on a global scale, no matter what league, no matter uh, his age or anything like that? For me, I would. I used to hate this guy. He played for Chelsea, and I just you know he, he initially just started. He used to come into the league and just dive a lot. There was a period where him and Cristiano Ronaldo were the, just the two biggest clowns on the field. But I learned more about him later, and he he turned into an absolutely brilliant, brilliant forward man, and that's uh, that's Didier Drogba from Ivory Coast. Uh, but besides his footballing prowess, I mean, he practically won that final for for Chelsea on that day. Um, so so big is his his influence, and it's also because Didier Drogba helped stop civil war in Ivory Coast. I don't think that's a lot of that's that's something a lot of footballers can or even would do in this day and age we you know you hear about the selfish side of them but that was something where somebody could do something positive and he did something immensely positive so uh yeah i'd like to nominate didier drogba that's a fantastic shout man and i think he's going to do a great job here at mls uh, for the montreal impact and uh you know a good you know canadian i mean uh, a canadian province where speaks uh, mostly french and that's going to be good for him dave uh, do you have another player for us my man I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to put Stevie Gerrard on. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's left yeah. Liverpool. Uh, yeah, why not? We'll have to, no, no top 100 is complete white Stevie Gerrard. Um, you know, I, I was watching him again there last night um, for, for Galaxy. and It's actually a joy to watch. Um, and, and just for that, he does, you know, he deserved, after what he did in Istanbul alone, never mind cup finals, FA cup finals, carrying, carrying a Liverpool team on his back for 10 years. You know, if, if he's not included in the top 100, there's something drastically wrong he needs in there. 
Absolutely, man. I can't argue with that. I'm going to go with uh, an LA Galaxy teammate of his, Sebastian Legette. He came over from West Ham, and he's really been the motor and the engine in that uh, Galaxy midfield this season. And he's a young man who should uh, be getting a lot more call-ups from Jurgen Klingsmann in uh, the years to come because he's really starting to peak, and he's really become a pivotal force in MLS and for the LA Galaxy. Kalen, thank you very much, my man. You're a true gent. Like It's always a pleasure talking to you, and it's always a pleasure getting your insight. Where can the people follow you, my man? Do you have anything to plug as far as ai or anything else well um what i can plug is uh highlight some of the work that my uh, my fellow betters are doing on the global pod Leo has a tactics uh, series on the global pod that's coming out at the moment so have a look out for that um the south african pod is coming out soon we'll have some sound bites on that if we can get it of the we recently all met for the first time and we met at the local supporters club so we took some sound bites of the of the you know the match with Stoke and and our goal and stuff. So have a look out for that. And if I could also just plug the AI app because it's been absolutely brilliant. And also a big shout out to this show. I said it to Dave when it came out, but I, I'm not sure many shows would have the balls to take on issues like this and be able to give platforms to these kinds of things. So absolutely huge fan of the show. I hope it keeps on going. It's been a, it's br- a brilliant job by you guys. I uh, really appreciate that, Kay. Uh, Dave, you have anything to plug, my man? You have any uh, where can the people follow you on Twitter? You have any uh, articles coming out for either WFI or uh, Anfield Index at all, man? Uh, I'm hoping to have something for WFI towards the end of the week. Um, I had one out last week on uh, if you're a Liverpool supporter, heroes of our past on uh, David Fairclough. You can find that on on the AI channel. Uh, as as Kaylon rightly said, the app is out now for for iPhone. It's an awesome piece of kit, and it doesn't matter whether you're listening to this as a Liverpool supporter or not. Um, there's every sport is is being covered there now. Um, television, movies. Um, baseball, I think you're you're starting a pro wrestling one, uh, Armando. So you know this isn't just for Liverpool fans anymore, and that's that's the that's the message that I really really want to send out about this app is that this app is for for, for everyone. And one last shout out to um, uh, an article O'Mara wrote uh, on Mario Balotelli, a very very balanced uh, piece on him. And again, don't need to be a Liverpool supporter to to, to appreciate it. Uh, give that a plug. Uh, and if you want to engage with me, it's uh, DaveRN66. Uh, on Twitter, and anybody wants to come on the show or have any ideas for this show, myself or Armando, you get, we're 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 fully open to anyone approaching us. We're, we're as I say, we're we're taking this on. It's a huge project, as Kalon said, and and we need help. And uh, if you feel you have expertise in any league or any any aspect of the game, whatever, it doesn't need to be actual on the field stuff. It can be off the field stuff, like we've just covered here. Um, if you feel you've got anything that you would like to put on a podcast, please get in touch with us. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better, Dave. Uh, for me, you guys can find me at Armando Angulo 12 on Twitter. I love to engage in anything. I'm also the host of the AI uh, Mexico pod. And if you guys want to get in, either involved with this or that, you can get in contact with me there. Um, I'm also going to be, uh, like Dave said, starting a baseball podcast for the AI channel app soon. And that should be up and running within the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, I write pretty regularly for both websites and you guys can find my stuff there once again gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure i really appreciate your guys' time your guys' insight uh this was a fantastic pod i think it's uh your guys' knowledge is gonna uh help a lot of people understand the political and the social impacts that these uh tournaments have in host nations so for that i really thank you and for you the listener thank you very much for giving us your time for listening to us and uh for your support uh any feedback would be greatly appreciated uh please uh you know, like the guy said, download the AIP channel uh, app on the iPhone. It's been fantastic. It's got great feedback. And like Dave said, you don't have to be a Liverpool fan to enjoy it. The Android version. And it's completely free. It's completely free, Armando. No charge. Absolutely. And the Android version should be coming out soon, guys. So with that being said, you all have a wonderful week. Cheers. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.